Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 19, Episode 22, powered by Huddle Analysis. Offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. And Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. I'm happy to bring on Jimmy Roy, Director of Player Development for the Winnipeg Jets. Jimmy, thanks for coming on the show. I always appreciate when you drop by and we can chat about your kids in the system. Yeah, thank you very much. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about uh, the Black and Blue Brothers. So first off, <laughs> let's talk about Cody Barlow, because when Cody was came in, was drafted, and he came down and talked to us uh, right along the boards at the draft at NHL Network Radio, I started joking with him because Rutger McGordy and him, they have a lot of similarities in terms of not only their personalities, but their willingness to pay the price to do things a lot of other players don't want to do. The difference between decisions and choices, and they make great choices. They'll take hits to make plays. They'll go to the greasy ears to go get pucks. They'll go to the front of the net and take punishment from defensemen. And those characteristics are very similar. They have similarities in those characteristics. And they both project, in my eyes, to be playoff-style players. I think sometimes we forget, Jimmy. Yeah. Go through the 82 games of the regular season, and then the playoffs start in the first round. We go, oh, that's how hockey's played. Right? Yeah, and it goes I think, to another level. Right. And I think both those players have those mental and emotional attributes that would allow them to be really strong playoff players players so let's talk about Kobe Cody Barlow right off the hop and what your thoughts were him you know you got a chance you got to see him right after he was drafted and then as he's you know going through this season in the Ontario Hockey League yeah so Colby's been uh he's been an interesting um uh, start to the year for us because we had him in training camp and he got sick during training camp right after like the day after he signed his contract I think he got sick and missed the, the rest of training camp and then got sent back to junior and was trying to get healthy. I, I don't know if he had COVID or exactly what it was, but he got really sick. And then he kind of got back, back playing, played 12 or 13 games. Um, and then um, hurt himself, hurt his back and um, missed another two months, you know, missed the opportunity with the world juniors and a few things, but probably about the last uh, six to eight weeks here in the, in the new year. Um, he's really, um, you know, and, and in my job, I don't see these kids in their draft year. I see them once they've been drafted, um, you know, I, I don't see a lot of them. Once in a while, I'll see them in the draft year, but not very often have I seen any of our players in their draft year. So my first real introduction is at development camp, training camp, um, and then going out at the start of the year to go out and see them in their own environment. And the interesting thing about Colby is, um, you know what? He he looks like a grizzled veteran. Um, he's got some presence out there. He's got respect because of his work ethic, his compete level. Um, you know, and like you said, he does go to those greasy, dirty areas to score goals. Um, actually had a conversation with him this morning and we were talking about, you know, the two types of offense, so offense off the rush or offense in zone. And, and he's more of an in zone offensive guy. He has the ability to shoot the puck. Um, he gets to the front of the net. Um, always looking for getting to the point, crashing the net, looking for rebounds. Um, and, and those are the type of players that um, have success in playoff hockey, like you were talking about, because, um, you know, a lot of the goals in playoff hockey teams tighten up defense, and that's where goals are scored in that in that grade A and that you know ten foot radius of the uh, of the goal crease and and both of those guys score in that area. So so Colby is 
he was a little late getting going to start the year, but um, he's been really good to watch here the last last couple of weeks. You think, you know, and he's missed a little bit of time, but you look at his overall skating. I think sometimes we don't recognize effective skaters in the NHL. There's fast skaters, but you look at a player like Mark Stone. Mark Stone's not the most fleet of foot, but he's so effective as a skater of understanding how to change his speed, when to change angles so that he arrives when he has to arrive. It reminds me of uh, Guy Carboneau later in his career when he played for Dallas. Same thing. And you think um, Colby has that still similar traits as he doesn't have to be the, the fastest player in a straight line because he understands how to use his, his skating effectively with his size. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? And and, and the thing is, though, is, is he's going to get quicker. Um, it's one of the things I do really enjoy evaluating and watching kids grow as they're skating. Um, it was one of the things I didn't have very good hands when I when I played, but I had a, a decent skating ability. And it's one of the things I enjoy helping kids with. And the thing with Colby is he's going to get quicker as he matures. Um, you know, he's going to get those fast twitch muscles are going to get a little quicker. Um, you know, he's going to get a little lower in his strides to get more power in his legs because he's still physically maturing. Um, you know, and, and the one thing about, um, athletes, hockey players, um, that, um, are, are working towards becoming an elite skater is their conditioning level. Um, players that, um, have to work at skating need to be in the best shape of their life because it maybe takes a little extra for them to get around the arena. And that doesn't mean you're not going to play in the National Hockey League. It just means you're just going to you're going to have to like you talked about, you know, with Mark Stone or, or, or other players. You just have to find your niche, find your ways. And and, and they're both uh, they're both very good at that. Let's talk about Rutger McGordy. And he's another guy who is an in zone player, um, certainly also is not the yeah. most fleet of foot in that respect as well. But what I think he does really well in terms of using his skating real effectively, particularly it's within a 10 foot radius. And he's, I thought he's really effective of when defensemen or forwards are leaning on him. He understands how to use pressure to his advantage. So guys are leaning on him and he knows which ways to pivot and pull away in those circumstances. And I think it's a really underrated factor in a lot of, a lot of players is when they get leaned on, you know, whether along the boards or around the front of the net, how to pull out of that with the puck or like pull themselves in a way to present a stick so that the puck can get to them and they have just enough space to make a play happen. Yeah. You know what the game, the game um, probably changed for a few years where it went to, I mean, it's still that way where it was fast up and down the ice and fine stuff. And, but I I, I look at Rutger and he has more of that old school power forward mentality Um, in, 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 you know, the ability to protect pucks um, look for, look for players coming late, um, get himself or the puck to the front of the net. Um, he's really good at getting to the front of the net when he doesn't have the puck. Um, he can read gaps between defensemen and understand his timing and what routes to get there so he can get in front of the goalie's eyes. And then he's really good at puck retrievals. Um, his first five steps are, are no different than anybody else. Like he's quick in those first five steps um, and has the ability to, to get pucks back on, on shots that have been taken up to the point, get back to the front of the net, um, find those lanes. Um, and, and I think it shows in his, um, in the numbers he's been able to put up this year at, at the university of Michigan and, and, um, how he was be able, was able to compete at the world juniors coming back from a pretty serious injury, um, and, and getting available for that. Um, he's another kid that is kind of that old school hard work, uh, mentality. Do you think as well with, I think both car, uh, Kobe and Riker do this really well in terms of 
they recognize what their identity is. So you don't have to help them build that or change from their junior or college ranks into pro. They have fully formed identities in their mind. They know who they are. I think that is a tremendous advantage for them. And the other one that I really think is an advantage for both those guys is I think a lot of young players don't recognize that how little they actually have the puck on their stick. So if you look at the time frame you play in a game, but Ford plays 20 minutes in a game, he may only have the puck two, three percent of the time. So what are you doing yeah. with the other, you know, 95 percent of your time or 96 percent of your time? What are you doing to make your t- help your team win? And that's yeah. what you have talked about, how their ability is to create time and space for more, maybe more a fleet of foot or highly skilled forwards around them on their line. They create time and space for their line mates. Yeah. And I think that's an undervalued skill set that both of them, I think, have. Yeah, I, I, I... I think you hit the nail right on the head. Their identities as, as what they are as players is you're not um, spending a half a year or saying, okay, well, this is what you got to work on to get to the national hockey league. This is what you got to work on at the pro level. Um, they know what their, they know what their assets are. Um, and they, the, the, the interesting thing about both of them, they put the work in to do it. It's not like we have to probe them and say, Hey, okay, well, you know what? You've got to find a, we, I'll help you find a skating coach in your area so that you can work with this person or we're going to, I'm going to send you a video on our guys so that you could with our guys so you can do this and work on this. And, you know, they're both very geared towards that mentality of becoming good NHL players and, and working on that identity and putting the time in. So they're, they're, they're great kids. You know, that's one of the things I, I appreciate when you, you talk to players, they're self-motivated and, but yeah. they also have like self-discipline. Because motivation yeah. will get you through the door, but it's going to dr- wane really quickly. And then it's all based yeah. on self-discipline. And can you do the things you don't feel like doing, but you just make yourself do it. And when I yeah. watch both them play, it's clear to me that they do that on a pretty regular basis because they have really good habits as players. They're yeah. not sloppy in how they play and how they function on the ice. And I think that resonates through the rest of their team is that's a guy that or both of them are guys that can drag people into the fight. And I think that's, and that's why they're both. Yeah. And that's why they're both in, in, in leadership areas on both their teams. Right. Because coaches see that um, they know that, that they're going to drag other people into the fight and, and into the game and not by, not by physically doing it, but by their compete level, by their uh, character, their demeanor, um, they drag people into the game. And, and that's what good teams do when they have players like that. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. 
Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at FractalHockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Huddle Analysis, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Speaking with Jimmy Roy, Director of Player Development for the Winnipeg Jets, just chatting and getting updates on some of the prospects in the system. I had a, actually a list of guys I wanted to ask you about. We just strict, we just don't have enough time. I want to get your thoughts on, because I had talked to you a couple of years about Brad Lambert, and I think sometimes we forget that kid's only 20 years of age. He's yeah. only 20. Most kids don't come in the American League till they're 20. So, you know, if he's had a lot of time in pro hockey, whether it was in Liga, uh, and then now that, you know, he's had an opportunity to play in the American Hockey League as well, thoughts on about how that transitioned from last year. You got a cup of coffee, went to the Western League, did some World Juniors, and then now has come in really full time. I think I, I, I don't think I gave him enough credit for his adaptability bouncing around and, you know, adapting to his scenarios and figuring things out quicker than, you know, I think some people give him credit for, because when you bounce around between a bunch of different organizations and some different coaching, they're asking you to do different things. You're in different roles. You know, that takes a lot to figure out and how to adapt. And I think he's done a really good job this year. You forget that he's a full blown rookie in the, in the American league. Yeah. You know, like, and, and, and I think what, what some people don't realize is like, this is a, this is going to be a great development year for Brad and, and the opportunity to play with one team in a role that we see him succeeding at in the national hockey league. You know, when he, he came from the, the league over in Finland where um, he probably wasn't in the role to develop him as an offensive guy and use his skating ability. And, and he was younger too, playing in a man's league. Right. So it's understandable that, and, and those coaches over there, they got their jobs on the line. They're not they're not in development mode. They're in winning mode, right? Um, so I think, you know, Chevy, Zinger, Larry, our management group, we've done a, they've done a good job of, of, of helping Brad understand what his development path is and, and, you know, getting him to Seattle last year where he was able to develop and play in his age group and, and understand how to use his skills, his speed, his shooting, shooting ability, and, and, and that offensive mind instinct of, things to, to score goals and make plays and, and, and develop that. And he did that last year in Seattle, which was great to see. And then and he's physically mature. So his body gets more mature. He gets stronger. Game slows down for him as he gets quicker. Things happen better. And then you see him turn pro and okay, we got to continue this in the American league. Now, now you're playing against men again. Now you got to understand what you're capable of and, and what we need to develop you as. And I think our, our management group has done a, a really good job in helping him understand What's going to give him success when he gets to the NHL and not really trying to push the process and, and say, okay, well, you can learn it there. Or you can, it's, it's a process. And, and he's done a pretty good job of accepting it. And he's another kid that works. You know, he's got that, he's got that finish mentality and, and he works. So he puts in the time um, and he wants to be on the ice. He loves the game. He's a good kid. I think the advantage from what I saw when he 
went to the Western Hockey League and now into the American League is that allowed him to establish his identity early that, hey, remember, this is who you are. Like, this is who you are. And it just allows him to build on that. Instead of trying to search for that, he, he, like the other two that we talked about earlier, okay, yeah, this is who I am. And this is, then I can build the skill sets around that. And it's, there's a comfort level of understanding who you are in your identity as a player so that you can sort of build on that moving forward and then recognize, like, I think, and I and I agree with you as, you know, he starts to mature, the game slows down for him in mentally for him, allows him to use his skating more effectively because he's got such like, he's yeah. so fast that he can take advantage of that. Like you have him, whipping down a wing and pushing back defensemen that allows those Kobe Barlow's and the regular McGordy's to come in behind. And there's all this extra space for them because you have to respect Brad speed on the outside. Cause if you let him get by, bye-bye and he can yeah. score, right. He's and got a lethal shot. He's one of the players and there's not many of them that can score from the outside. Yeah. You're exactly right. Like I, I've seen him this year. And it's that's why the, the the scouting side, as we were talking earlier, there, I think of off camera a little bit about how difficult it is on the scouting staff to recognize that when they see these players playing in the Liga at a younger age and saying and trying to predict, can this player develop into the player we think he can? You know, he's not getting very many minutes time. He's not getting opportunity on power play. Yeah, you see flashes of it. Okay, he goes back to junior. You see it there in junior. Can it translate to the pro game? You know, um, and 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 you got to give credit to our scouting staff and management staff and everybody that. That, that that looks at these players and these picks and, and sees the attributes that, that can help us develop them into National Hockey League players. And Brad is one of those. When I ask you about Elias Solomonson, what's really interesting is we see narratives out in the hockey world, particularly, you know, through the media of the type of defensemen that are now coming into the NHL. And there was this kind of vogue, you know, smaller, quicker, more offensive-minded yeah. defensemen. But you also like people have to recognize you get into the playoffs and it's big boy hockey. So those big yeah. lanky rangy defensemen where I think Elias fits into that mold where he's so effective at it, at his age group of just taking away time and space. And it was something that Rick Nash had mentioned me because when I played the most irritating defensemen weren't the bangs and bangers and crashers and not the offensive guys. It was the guys that just could take away my time and space He goes they drove me nuts. And I think that, Watching Elias when I was over at the World Juniors in that respect, that was something that I thought he did a really good job of, quietly just took away time and space all over the ice. Yeah, he's um, he's a really interesting kid for me, and he is a, I think he's going to be a good National Hockey League player one day. You know, he he is, um, I don't know how to put it, like he, he's – He's, he's, he's very naive to how good he is or how good he can be, you know. Yeah. Um, he just goes out there and he has fun and he does his job and, 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 and doesn't, you know, he doesn't look at the whole big picture. He just looks at kind of one day at a time and getting better. And, and Which is great and in terms he, of process. I know. Like, you couldn't ask for anything more, right? Like, hey, let's look at today. Let's not worry about where you're going to be in a year or two years. Let's look at today. And, and that's the type of kid that he is. He's very quiet. And, and he looks and he watches. You could see him learning from people. And, you know, he came to training camp um, last year. And um, I, I remember when, when when we decided and he decided he wanted to go back to, to Sheleftia to play there. And I was giving him a ride to the airport. And I said to him, I said, hey, Elias, what's the biggest what's the biggest change? What's the, the thing that you notice different about the the North American game compared to, you know, him playing the Sheleftia on the big ice? And I'm thinking he's going to say the speed of the game or the strength of players or 
you know, how many smart players there are and passes and stuff. And he's like, I can't believe how well everybody takes care of their body. And I went, Oh, really? That's what you got. And he's like, yeah, he goes, I just can't believe how well guys look after their body before practice, after practice. And he, he thought he took care of his body. He said, you know, and then he sees that, which is one of the benefits of, of, of getting these players into training camp that are, are naive and don't know what the national hockey league is all about. And, and he goes back home and he says, okay, well now I know what I got to work on. Right. Not only on ice, but off ice. So um, he's a really smart kid. He's a great kid. I think he's going to turn into a player that's going to play in the national hockey league for a long time. Um, he's going to be a part of the process though, of, of understanding the pro game in North America and, and, and what type of player and, and identity he has, because that's a kid who's been playing in a, in the SHL at a young age. Right. And, and, and I think there's more offensive ability there. Um, that he's going to be able to develop. He's got a great shot. He's got great skating ability. He's strong. He reads the game well. So there's there's going to be a good player here. Quickly, uh, we've got a couple of minutes left, but I did want to touch on the goaltender Dominic De Vincentis. I like talking <laughs> about the late the late yeah. guys, like seventh round picks. But thoughts on him because he's played exceptionally well quietly for North Bay in the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, you know what, like. Like, uh, I think he struggled a little early on in, in the start of the season when he was signed. Um, you know, he had the opportunity with the World Junior team, got released from there. Um, a little bit of a reality check for him. And um, we've had some conversation. Drew McIntyre, our, our development goalie coach, has done a tremendous job building a relationship with him and, and help preparing him for things like this. And, and um, you know, since then, I think he's gone on a 13-2-2 and uh, um, uh, run uh, with North Bay and been a big part of that. Um, he, his, his work ethic, um, his compete level, um, the, the way he, um, comes to the game and, and the mental aspect of the game and how he works on it. He's, he's like a 10 year pro already. He's one of these kids and, and you, we always know goalies are a little different, right? But this guy, he is committed. He is, um, in his zone with his training, um, who he has in his corner, who's helping him and what he's doing. He's just been a, he's been a real bright spot this year for, for our organization. Well, you guys have a history of pulling some goaltenders late uh, and them turning out to be good players and being patient there. And I, I like the fact that you guys have your American League franchise in the same city as your yeah. NHL parent club. I think it's a tremendous tactical advantage uh, for any team who does that, have that in the NHL because it's just about, you know, pulling all those all those assets together for player development for your players on you know the NHL side and the American League side and I think that's really critical for those players moving forward and I, I don't mind when players leave Europe early if that is the situation you're in uh, I think it's really beneficial yeah Jimmy thanks again for coming on the show really appreciate it and I look forward to seeing you at the rink awesome thanks Shane. have a great day that's uh, Jimmy Roy we're going to take a short break we'll be back on Hockey Prospect Radio right after this Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. 
The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting through an integrated series of best business practices. They design solutions for hockey operations and business operations as well. Happy to bring on once again Patrick Williams, AHL correspondent for NHL.com and AHL.com. Talking about some rookies in the American Hockey League. I know, Patrick, we generally don't talk about goalies because, you know, I'm not a goalie guy. You're not a goalie guy, but we have to talk about Joel uh, Bloomquist because when you're a 22 year old goaltender who's come into the American Hockey League, and I know he got one game last year, but doesn't really count. Coming in after you know a few years playing Liga with Carpot, you can't. I mean, I know save percentage isn't everything, and I'll have some goalie guys screaming at me, you know, as they're listening to this, but you gotta give the kid a lot of credit because he's played 31 games so far as a rookie, you know, and Wilkes-Barre has been very, very good. And if you map out how many games that is, he's looking to play 42 games out of 72. That would equate to 48 games played in the NHL. If you play, if you mapped it out to all 82 games there. So he's a starter as a rookie in the American league. Right. And that kind of lends like you heard all, like there's some talk about, you know, potentially the Pittsburgh Penguins maybe trading a goalie. Well, the only reason they would even consider that is what Joel Bloomquist is doing and the fact that he's 22 already. And, you know, by the time the season starts again in the fall, he's going to be close to 23 and much closer to the NHL and being ready. So, you know, thoughts on him, it's coming out as a rookie. I mean, even though he's 22, I know I get it. You know, that's, um, I think he's played exceptionally well for a young goalie. Well, I mean, it's a great point uh, why it might be possible at some point to make a move up top with Pittsburgh, you know, with goaltending-wise. You know, like, I mean, so you have a young goalie who came over here. You know, he's had to really fight for that 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 uh, that, that time in net. You know, he's he's gotten that number one he's job over a good veteran in Magnus Helberg, a guy that's been, been around and, Certainly is a capable uh, number three on most NHL, you know, club step charts. Blomkrist has moved right past him and and, and really taken that reign, you know, with, with a team that's, you know, in the standings, you know, they're pretty solid. But, you know, they've had a, a ton of turnover, a, a ton of, uh, you know, some of their top players moving out over the course of the year, dealing with a ton of injuries. 
Um, and yet he's been the he's been the one steady part uh, of that team, really almost start to finish here. Uh, you know, almost into March. So um, he's been a uh, you know coming over as a young. You know, he's an age over. He obviously had that experience over in Carpot, and that you know is uh, obviously a high level experience. But uh, for him to come over and just you know manage things at just you know such a young age, twenty two years old. Uh, really handle that adjustment and, and be able to also take on such a heavy workload. I think that bodes really well for for what they have with him. Uh, you know, if you start to look, you know, a year or two down the road. Yeah, it could be as early as a year. And I'm not one to push players into the NHL, but because he's going to be draft plus five pretty quickly, he's not mm-hmm. a kid anymore. And, no. you know, he's, and he's played enough pro games in Europe against men. So it doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, some, changes in terms of like angles and more shots and style of game, you know, what he has to adjust to, but that's nothing unusual. So curious to see how more games played he does down the stretch and then what happens at the trade deadline and whether there's a lot of focus on Bloomquist moving forward. We should talk about Carter Mazur thoughts Mm -hmm. on him in Grand Rapids because he had a couple years in USHL with uh, with the Tri-City Storm and then a couple years with University of Denver and played exceptionally well, got a cup of coffee at the end of the year, and six points in six games makes you kind of jump out, especially for a young guy. And then he went to the World Championships and played, you know, acquitted himself very well there. And this rookie season, 24 points in 42 games. Those are good numbers for a rookie. 12 goals and 12 assists. So thoughts on him and what Grand Rapids has thought about his game so far in the season. Yeah, he's he's been a really nice surprise. Like, um, you know, really in a lot of ways kind of similar to a lot of not, not necessarily surprise you know what the what the Red Wings have in Grand Rapids obviously you brought in Steve Eiserman there back in 2019 and he's he's done a lot of work to really build up that pool of prospects and, and that just simply takes time um there's really no replacement for that um you know just to even get them into the American League uh takes a, a few years and and so now you have a guy like Mazur who's just, uh, you know, he's really come in and um, at different points really found his game. Um, you know, he's, um, you know, had a little bit of an injury issue, a different, you know, uh, part of the season. But, uh, you know, he, he plays like a kind of that 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 up-tempo game, that, that, uh, that, that kind of that push the, push the pace type game that, that teams like right now. And, um, you know, you know, he's part of a great story. Grand Rapids, the team has a 15 game point streak, uh, going into this week. They knocked off the Milwaukee Admirals, a team that had won 19 games in a row. Uh, they handled them pretty, uh, pretty, uh, directly. And like, I remember Eiserman talking at the end of last season, you know, how it was a big priority, um, for players like Mazer to come into a winning environment. So, like, the Red Wings and Sean Horkoff, the assistant GM there, they, they really. They really made that a priority uh, to get a good foundation around them, good vets, and bring a guy like Mazur, you know, had two years at De- the University of Denver. Um, you're just coming into a much uh, you know, softer landing, and, and I think it's really starting to pay off for him and, you know, any number of other uh, young prospects in that system. And now you're starting to see – first you start to see that 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 trust factor with, uh, with the coaching staff, and then you start to eventually see the results. And then after that, you start to see the wins, and I think that's where the – that's where the Grand Rapids Griffins are at right now in terms of uh, you know, where they are. And, you know, maybe you know, another year or so, you'll see a guy like Mazur really make a, a push for a full-time job. 
uh, up in Detroit. And, you know, it's uh, very similar to, to, to what you saw with Iserman with Syracuse uh, and Tampa uh, when he was uh, with that team. Uh, and that same blueprint, is, you're seeing it kind of almost like, you know, to a man uh, in, in Detroit and Grand Rapids now. Let's talk about one of the best, going to be one of the best names in hockey, and Ivan Ivan, and he's mm-hmm. he's a player who quietly, you know, was under the radar for the most part because he played in Cape Breton in uh, in the QMJHL, and you know it's farther away, it's up the coast of Nova Scotia. Not a lot of people see it. Uh, even a lot of scouts don't see you know Cape Breton unless they're coming through town. So he kind of hid under the radar, had two great seasons the last two years, particularly last year, he had 90 points in 64 games and went undrafted, signed, is in Colorado with the Eagles, you know, signed by Colorado and has come out as a rookie with 27 points in 48 games. And I don't think anybody really expected that from him, that kind of transition as a 21 year old. So and he turned 21 in August. I give him, I got to give that kid a lot of credit. Yeah. Because talk about betting on yourself. I'm like, fine. Nobody wanted to draft me. You know, no one really watched me, you know, and okay, fine. I'm just going to go about, go about and just like take the bull by the horns. And he did it. Credit yeah. to him. Yeah. No. And it was, it was, I thought it was strange. Like he, he lingered out there till the uh, early part of August. Yeah. Off season. Like, yeah. and, you know, had to settle for an HL contract. I mean, I was like, all right, okay, I guess. But I, I thought that was a little, a little odd. Just you know, with like you said, he had had you know some good production there with Cape Breton, and certainly there, there was enough potential there to think. Well, I mean, you would have thought he would have been drafted at some point, and then certainly you would have thought maybe coming out of the the queue there, he would have been able to get an entry level NHL deal, but. Uh, for one reason or another, it never did materialize for him. Um, so he was like, all right, well, I'll go to the HL. I'll go play in an AHL deal, and I'll just <laughs> help produce. And, um, you know, kind of really start to force – I mean, that's always the best way to force somebody, you know, force a team's hand, right? You, like, you put yeah. them in a situation yeah. where they just – there's no choice, right? Like, because you're just showing that um, you're – yeah, like – you're going to get an opportunity one way or another. The way he's been producing, like, you know, he had two goals uh, the other night uh, for the Eagles, uh, you know, a big win at Abbotsford. And, um, you know, it's just a player, like, keeps getting a little bit better each game. And, like, you know, you're, you're starting to see, okay, like, that second half of his rookie pro season, that's all right. Like, he's figuring some things out here. And, um, you know, he's, he's he's been in a really nice fight. Like, you only had those, those, those three years in uh, Cape Breton, like, went under the radar, like you said, and was able to really just, you know, kind of kick the door down for himself and, 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 and push his way into, uh, into the mix. Now, now, now he's in Colorado with the Eagles and um, get a chance there. And, you know, I think the next step for him now is obviously get himself a two-way NHL deal. Right. I don't think that would be too far off uh, for him, for sure. 100%. Well, Patrick, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight and look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. 
Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospects Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. It's Hockey Prospect Radio brought to you by Fractal Hockey Consulting through an integrated series of best business practices. They design solutions for hockey operations and hockey business operations. Once again, I'm happy to bring on Mike McMahon, College Hockey Insider. Read his Substack uh, as well. He's a senior writer for the College Hockey News. This topic this week... Uh, Mike, you know, we've chatted about this in the past and we've been keeping a close eye on it is the average age of players in college hockey. So if you look at the 64 teams and you guys done a really good job of this at College Hockey News and I know College Hockey Inc. follows this uh, exceptionally close as well and have provided a bunch of data to us. But if you look at the numbers and I know there's a, a tiny bit of skewing because of COVID and the grad players that are on it, but it's not a very big number, not enough to scoot when you have approximately 14, over 1,400 players. But the average age for a college hockey player, and that's for the U.S.-based teams, is 22, 22 years and two months. That's the average. So that means, on average, the freshman's going to be 20 years of age. And the crazy yeah. thing is, yep. of, of the 64 teams, 46 of them, their average is over 22 years. Six, 46 out of 64, and 18 of them are below 22 years of age. The, the youngest team is Boston College, and this was at the start of the year. Of course, it doesn't count right now, was 20 years and nine months. So they're the only team that's under an average of 21 years of age. So like the numbers are really, really low. There's only 18 teams that are just 18 teams out of 64 that are below 20, 20, 22 years of age start of the season. But even in saying that, as I counted it off, I, um, there was, I think there were set there were seven teams that were 22 years and 11 months and 10 months of those 18. So it's really you're kind of getting down to 11. 11 teams are 21 yeah. years and nine months or younger. So. The argument that we're making for this is we've got both of you and I have got pushback from people in college hockey or people that had went played in college hockey is like, oh, if CHL players come into into college hockey, it's going to make it 
a really old league. It's going to ruin college hockey. And I'm like, do you have any data to back that up? All their answers were no, they didn't have that. They were just, it was just their guess. I'm like, well, I looked at the numbers and it, it's not going to make a difference because if say 90% of the players that come out of the CHL are 20 and 10% are 19 when they move on to college hockey as freshmen, that won't skew it at all. It'll be exactly the average age that it is now. So it'll just make up for some of the grad players that are still lingering around for another year. Mike, I don't think it's going to make any difference whatsoever. A college hockey is uh, an older league. The average is 22. Yeah. I, I think that's why people view it as a good intermediate step between junior hockey and the it's AHL great. anyway. It's, know, I think it's teams, a great step. So, 100%. Uh, and I, I agree with you. I think the fact that uh, you've got the grad students, the fifth year guys that are in there right now. It's, well, there's one more year left of that. So next year will be the last year that, that guys could play a fifth year. Um, but if we're also talking about uh, the the potential for CHL players, probably the earliest being 25, 26 anyway, it would be the first year that those fifth year players leave. So overall, I think the average Won't age of where, where we're at right now is about where we would be if this change were to happen. And, and I agree with you. I think there has been, it depends on who you talk to. There's, there's been some pushback on whether or not it would actually happen. Uh, my assertion from the beginning has always been, and, and I've said this to the people that I've talked to who have pushed back against it. I said, look, uh, I don't know that, you're going to have a choice. I mean, wh- whether you like it or not, or whether you're for it or whether you're against it, it doesn't may not matter uh, from a from a legal standpoint. If this thing goes into the courts, which I think it may at some point, uh, I don't think it's going to be up for anybody to decide whether or not they want it. I think it's just going to happen. The NCAA, we talked about some of their court cases a week ago. They lost another one at the end of last week. They had laws in place uh, to to enforce NIL restrictions, name, image, and likeness money, as far as uh, players not being able to be offered NIL money as part of the recruiting process. It, it couldn't happen until they were already in school and with obviously an, an NAL collective or an outside company. It couldn't be from the school itself. It went to court. The University of Tennessee uh, sued them in the United States uh, to, to saying that the, the enforcement of those rules were, were illegal. And there's there was an injunction granted last Friday that said, yes, they can't. So as of right now, the NCAA cannot enforce its own NIL rules. They were deemed in legal. Now, now there's going to be an appeals process and that has to play out. But it just, again, further proves the point that most of the of the NCAA's rules and most of their, their restrictions that they put on players over the years have continued one by one to get challenged in the court system, and they've lost all of them. So I think if this one ever does, we're going to see the same type of thing. They're going to be in trouble, and this change is going to happen because of that. And it... I don't think it's going to ch- – the only thing I think it's going to change, it won't change the average age. It's going to be within no. a month or two, which is insignificant, regardless if it's, you know, 21, 22.1, 20, 22 and one month or 21 years and 11 months. It's insignificant. It, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. I think it's just going to be a better caliber of college hockey because if you're – if some and this is what someone – a couple of people made an argument to me. Oh, well, how much better could, could it really be? I said, okay, so you're trying to tell me that, and this is nothing against the players that are in the BC Hockey League or say Alberta Junior Hockey League or the North American Hockey League, but the CHL players that are 19 and 20 years of age are generally always a higher ca- caliber, unless you're looking at, you know, the Bradley Nadeau's of the world. But the general sure. is those players are much better than the junior A players. So it's going to be a better caliber of player. 
And from an NHL standpoint, if you're looking at, if you have a fourth round pick who that played in the CHL and they're not quite ready as a 20 year old to go come and play in the, in the American hockey league, they could go play two years in college and then be ready. And then there was an argument that went back to me again. I don't know what your thoughts on this. They said, Oh, well then they're just coming in to do a couple of years and leaving. And I said, well, how many players do one and done that are first round picks? How many players do two and done that are first and second and third round picks? What's the difference? How many players right now are coming in and doing, you know, one and done out of the transfer portal? You've got teams that are going and recruiting grad transfers that are going to play one year and then they're going to leave. Right. I mean, it's no one's it's not, no one's complaining about that. It's just it's the new it's the new way of the sport. And yeah, some of those guys might be two and done, but like you said, a lot of those guys aren't now anyway. Uh, and and the other thing on top of that is is you know I don't think the coaches are going to care if they're two if it's two and done, but it's two years where you can help my team. I think the coaches would would take that player. You know I I'm sure they would. Uh, so that's where to me the more I look at this and and the more I I think about it and, and try to put some data and some numbers behind it, what I think it does is just because of like you said the 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 eighteen the nineteen twenty year old player in the CHL is a higher caliber of player no offense than the eighteen or nineteen or twenty year old player in the British Columbia Hockey League which which is what those teams are taking now those teams that might be middle of the pack or low or below the middle of the pack nationally speaking so I think what it does is it starts to bridge that gap a little bit there's still going to be a gap don't get me wrong because those teams that are getting the the top end high end first round picks they're going to continue to get those players they're probably not going to go after many of the major junior players and they're still going to be among the best teams in the country but what i think it does is those teams that you know if you look at the national pairwise rankings at 1 to 64 you look at those teams that are 30th right now you know low 20s yeah. early 30s even down into the 40s what it starts to do is the the gap between let's say a top 10 team and a top in a team that's ranked somewhere 20 to 40, that gap is, is going to be less than it was before. That That's what I really think. It's going to build parity. The changes. It's yeah. going to build parity. What the college hockey may turn into is very similar to the NHL in terms of parity, where that gap is actually much, much closer than people realize, which is going to make, I think it will. Yeah. It's going to make the playoffs way more exciting. You're trying to tell me like yeah. the top 32 teams, Say that say they put the top thirty-two teams into a playoff format. You're trying to tell me the top end of that college hockey isn't going to be amazing? Like that's much oh, that's must-watch hockey. Like I think, and what the other thing it'll do is it'll radically change who watches college hockey. Because I can say for for my standpoint, we've got about a minute left. Not a lot of Canadians watch college hockey on a regular basis. They don't. But if the CHL players are in there, it's going to change everything. I'm telling you, it's going to change how much we want. To, like we're going to be banging on the door for our of our cable providers to be able to get it every game. We're going to want it. Yeah. We're going to want it, right? Well, there's more gonna, of a connection there. Yeah, now there's a connection. There's an emotional connection. You watch your player play in Sarnia. Now he's going to play for Merrimack. You're going to want to watch Merrimack. It's just the way it's going to be. It's just it's going to well, be I better think, for college hockey overall. Really quickly too, I, I think you know you see that now in in the players that come from the USHL to to the yep. NCAA. Yep. You see, I I have it happen all the time. People reach out to me, players that have ended up at Merrimack with, hey, uh, how's so and so doing? You know, he was my billet. I, I he was I billeted him at my house, or my, my kid had his jersey. Fans. He was, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they just they get connections with the players uh, at that junior level and then follow them throughout. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, Mike, thanks once again for all your great insight. Look forward to speaking to you next week. 
Sounds good. Thanks. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and brought to you by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. We're happy to bring in a regular guest of ours, Pat Malloy. He's a player development skills and skating coach with a, a great... Uh, record of helping players get into the NHL and and be more successful. And we're going to continue on with some additional topics uh, this season. So really excited to have him back on. And this week's topic is the use of technology in developing technical skills that translate to tactical performance. So that was a bit of a mouthful for me, Pat. But I, I want to uh, to ask you from your perspective, sort of the definition of that and then and then if you and then for for me and for our listeners is get into how, what that looks like from a player development standpoint. Yeah, for sure. You know, in today's day and age where we've got, you know, an abundance of technology, really, you know, the first thing for me was figuring out, all right, what ways can we enhance a player's ability to grasp things that allow for performance within a game? You know, video obviously has been around for a great period of time, but ultimately, how do you use those things? Is video a tool we use? For sure. But how can we use it to enhance a player's learning and and ultimately their adaptability to new concepts or techniques that will allow them to tactically perform? Um, So, you know, when looking at these different options and, and sort of what's available out there, it's exciting because, you know, while there's a lot of technology, there's not necessarily a lot that, um, until you start to really dig and look for it, is something that becomes a tool at the coaching level. And so, you know, through going the, the trial and error and finding out the things that add value, you know, we've identified some things that certainly can make a difference when it comes time to uh, tactically, in, 
enhancing a player's ability to perform and really breaking it down and reverse engineering it to, you know, what techniques, what technical aspects of a, of a player's skill set uh, can we impact with use of technology. Pat, can you go over some of those different skills that you have found in the last couple of years uh, when it comes to acquiring maybe new uh, technical elements such as one, one for me that I've noticed the last two to three years specifically, and it's it's universal now, is uh, at the beginning phase of a deke, if it's a smaller forward, they look to actually stick check the longer, larger defenseman stick while simultaneously performing performing the the, per, the the beginning, middle, and end phase of the deke. Is that something that's been implemented through the type of technologies that you're uh, referring to now? Yeah, I mean, those are those are certainly some of the areas from a technical standpoint that will wind up in a tactical setting. And things that we'll use, you know, I use a lot of on-ice video. It's great for immediate feedback during a training session. And some of what we're able to do, obviously, with, with on-ice ability, um, you know, bringing a tablet or technology with the sorts of apps and things that you can manipulate and put side-by-side -side footage on, you can take a game clip and put it beside a training clip and give number one, you know, accurate and game use feedback is, is obviously a huge thing. But having players recognize, you know, entry phase, um, you know, where do I initiate this portion of a technical deep, for instance, to create a reaction in a defender. And, and the great part of that is that immediate feedback, that breakdown that you're able to see at ice level versus having them conceptualize it certainly becomes fuel that they can use um, you know, going forward to try to make small, minute, little micro adjustments, I'll call them, and maybe some of the things that they can do, you know, to ultimately get a defender to do things they're trained not to do. And so, you know, uh, we'll use that quite a lot because that immediate feedback, that ability to change angle, blow things up, slow them down, speed them up in terms of uh, immediate feedback is really crucial in terms of laying pathways for a new level of performance. Actually, Pat, I'm glad you brought that up in terms of the feedback loop between the coach and the student. Well, regardless of what age that player is, they're still a student and you're still a coach. How important is it to be able to implement some of these different technologies to help the feedback loop? Because for players, they're playing at such a high speed and you have to build in those habits so that it becomes autotelic. In, in many respects so that it, it, it becomes habit forming, but also then there's that, there's a psychological positive feedback for them. Like, Oh, I did this so many times and it's actually, I start to see it bear fruit. So what Pat is telling me, okay. And then we go back to the training session and we keep, you keep implementing different types of drills that have, you know, tactical, um, advantage so once you're on performing on the ice so that the player can you know do it with you use the technology play come back and then you know kind of close that feed back that feed loop and then just keep it going absolutely i mean when, when we take a look at you know give you an example you know a player's in the National Hockey League, they've got a, a five-game block, and they'll say, well, I've had 15 shots in five games. What's going on? Well, it's, it's really easy then to create that loop of, right, here's those 15 shots um, that you've you know experienced, and why aren't we scoring? Well, we can start to see, all right, environment that they're occurring, 
you know, are they off the pass? Are they, are, you know, are the shots resulted off of a catch? Are they off of broken plays? Where do they originate from? But then we can start to look at from a technical standpoint. Are we just trying to power up and create a linear shot motion? Or is there deception base in our habit of skills? Do we, you know, conceptually, do we change angle as one of our base habits when we shoot a puck and we recognize, all right, well, maybe 90% of the pucks I've shot, there was really little to get people to do things they're trained not to do. So example, I don't have a real great level change or angle change in my shooting motion as a base habit. I'm just trying to power up and kill shots. Well, I think we know when we put all the numbers together, goaltenders that are set and ready are typically in an advantageous position, you know, compared to a shooter that brings average to below average shooting skills or habits to it. So one of the things we can do is look at that feedback loop and say, Based on these 15 shots, we know there's some habitual things that we want to start to attack in terms of creating a little bit more higher percentage opportunity to finish on the chances that we get. And so things like that on ice video become very important. You know, digging a little deeper when we're maybe looking to uh, develop a, a, a skater's explosion. One of the things that, you, you know, we'll do a lot in a gym, for instance, is things like a force plate. Is it a physical attribute? Is there things from a, a power production standpoint that as an athlete we need to improve? But the skating motion itself is very interesting. And so now with the advance of technology, we can use almost miniaturized force plates in the bottoms of players' skates where we can start to see, all right, there's, a, there's an inequity from a right leg to a left or vice versa. And we can start to diagnose, all right, we get very strong power activation and thrust from our right leg versus our left. And then we can start to dig into the why. Is it an athletic issue? Is it a technique issue? And so there's another example of things from a technical standpoint that we can impact with use of newer technology. How important is it for you to be able to reverse engineer through, through video uh, when you're looking at uh, how goals are scored? For instance, like in the NHL now, we know primarily through being able to track uh, the results and be able to see through video that low to high danger lateral passes are one of the most important aspects when it comes to creating a goal because as you said the goalie doesn't get to be a, uh, an opportunity to set be set in time uh, do you ever look at the 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 conclusion of what leads to a goal and then basically reverse engineer and draw back and look at look at the steps that then uh, that then created the effect of the goal uh, and then say, okay, where can a player uh, improve in terms of how we set up this lateral pass? And then on the other side of that, how the skating pattern of say the backdoor option that came down the wing uh, to result in the in the goal itself is that is that kind of the how you look at it and draw from it? It's similar. I mean, the genesis of of certainly of a scoring chance. We'll certainly look at origin and location. Um, but, you know, ultimately a lot of times where we'll go with it is, is, you know, typically a goal scorer is, is the non-possessing player that winds up scoring the goal. You know, it's rare, especially in the national hockey league to start a play and finish it all with the puck in your stick. So it really, you know, we'll start to look at, um, the ideas of puck acquisition, where, where am I going to acquire a puck? Uh, and what, you know, what movements. And so from that perspective, starting to see the trends of um, pattern recognition, am I putting myself in places that support a, um, a goal scoring opportunity, support, you know, my possession 
uh, my my teammate that has possession of the puck. And then when we sink it back down, is is shot selection appropriate to where I've acquired the puck? Um, and so there's a, you know quite a bit that goes into it. You know, starting with location and origin of play is certainly something. But I think from a tech, you know, using the, the technology available to us, really that pattern recognition of recognizing, you know, if I'm all around the puck or I'm creating opportunities, but they're from lower percentage areas, are the, the things I'm doing for acquisition of the puck appropriate with producing at a higher level? And so things like that video where we can take opportunities and, and take a little more granular look at you know, am I in the spots to create the best opportunity for success? And what does that look like? And be able to use comparable video and, and, you know, sometimes it's video from your own team or someone that's having success, or sometimes it's video of, of the, that individual player when they were doing things at a little bit higher rate and, you know, might consider themselves slumping. What's changed? What things are you doing? Are you, are, you know, is the other team playing you harder or are you, maybe not doing some of the things or have lost your way um, that allowed you to have success in past and got away from some of those skills and habits. Pat, great topic this week. Really look forward to uh, the next following weeks as we delve into the, into the subject matter uh, more deeply. Uh, thank you for coming on the show again. We always appreciate and safe travels. Appreciate it guys. Always, uh, always a pleasure. That's Pat Malloy, uh, skills coach, player development, uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break. We'll be back on Hockey Prospect Radio right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about player development with Pat Malloy. Uh, Pat, and this topic for this segment is creating adaptable players through awareness habits and dictation, dictation of based skill set. So, I like the fact of 
adaptable players through awareness habits, like situational awareness. So talk a little bit about how you help create more adaptable players with understanding that that's really a mental acuity that you have to end up then translating into a practical on ice performance. Yeah, I mean, video is a huge tool, but I, I find a lot of times video is used in such a disciplinary way. Is that a, a way to put it in that, you know, as a coach, if I sit down in a video session and say, you were here, you should have been here, you should have done this, you should have done that. There's really no guided discovery for a player. I'll start in situations, especially revolving around how do I create adaptability in a player by asking questions. What did you see? What did you feel? Where was the pressure coming from, in your opinion, in this situation? And from an adaptability standpoint, how much of their decision making was, well, I, you know, I was doing this because I, you know, I needed to get the puck here because I knew that if I turned it over that I wouldn't see the ice again. Or, you know, it was better for me just to shoot the puck than it was anything else because then I'm credited for a shot on net and, you know, I stay out of the doghouse, if you will. From an adaptability standpoint, for me, it really starts with understanding the journey the player's going through, number one. And then number two, having them, you know, when you talk about the practical sense of things, you know, I, I'm a huge believer of having skill to solve problems in on-ice settings. But that doesn't come from me or from anyone um, giving them the answers. It's all right. So if the problem is I need to possess this puck. Um, and I need to extend possession long enough to make a higher percentage first play, second play, corresponding play, um, what what problems do I have to solve? Well, the problems might be, well, there's a threat to my possession, there's a defenseman bearing down on me, rolling me up the wall, or, you know, various levels of, of you know, coverage coming my way. What's the, the play here? So really creating environments that are unpredictable for players and having them recognize, all right, you know, from a higher percentage standpoint, did I expose pucks? Did I move on touch? Did I create changes of angle? Did I lure people to the places that I can now recognize? Here's a cue. I've got someone reaching that has chased me up the wall. That's a cue for me to move into the next set of things that I know can extend this. And I can now understand the ability that I've created a reaching defender. Now I'm going to dictate the terms because their body weight is off. They've played their card. Now I'm in a situation where I can cut, roll, or make the appropriate play. So for me, you know, the adaptability component really comes down to, A, I've got a, a toolbox full of technical skills. How do I relate those to tactical settings? And what are my cues to be able to dictate the, the situation as it sits? In order to optimize the adaptive ability on the ice, or I, I, I kind of split processing between adaptive and preset processing. I'm, one conversation we had, Pat, we were discussing how you prefer not seeing preset handling on the ice. And it, does it come back down to what we're discussing now is the reason why is because if a player is looking to do a preset move set, they've basically limited their options and, and then put themselves in positions where they're going to get trapped and that they can't get out. So is that why you focus so much on adaptive handling and making sure that they have a more fluid and dynamic uh, handling skill set? hundred percent. I mean, one of the things that, that you find specifically with younger players, if they can skate, they really want to just skate. If they've got incredible hands, they really want to air to let's just use hands. 
those things in unit, you know, are isolated skills. They don't necessarily transfer to the next level in terms of effectiveness. What might've worked in junior is probably not going to work at the pro level. So recognizing if I have a strong base of hand skills, for instance, rather than that be the, the thing that I lead with, how can I blend skating the game appropriately to create a scenario where I can allow the strength of my hands to become effective versus just an isolated skill that got me to this point? You know, how can I evolve that in terms of, can I adapt the way that maybe I use that skill um, based on, on the situations? What can I do to create the cue that I know works well for me in terms of leveraging my strength as hands um, without it becoming a, a, you know, a detriment to the play because I err to the only strength that I feel that makes me confident or comfortable and that I possess. And so, you know, adaptability comes from a recognizing pattern awareness. I mean, we, we've talked about this in past segments where um, we know the game and we know how it's coached. And, and you know, in, for instance, offensive zone settings, we recognize what the defending team is trying to do. And we recognize how that impairs our ability to do freely what we want to do. So using that information and becoming adaptable at, can I create situations with my movement, with my preemptive movement versus reactive movements uh, to create a setting that allows me to succeed versus being completely reactive throughout a shift. But all the while knowing I have an adaptability that if it plays this way, I have this skill set to be able to counter and vice versa. Pat, I mean, when you talk about that, the, the player that comes to mind is Mark Stone about, because I think he has really strong, like adaptive, adaptive awareness and his habits are very much adaptable because he's not the fastest skater. He's an effective skater, but he has really, he has really good hands. And I think he's an example for younger players that are listening that that's how you sort of put that together. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting about solving the right problem. Like, what would have to be true for this problem to not exist in the first place? And I think that's, you know, part of the process of what you're trying to get through to the players. I show clips and video of, of Mark Stone to so many aspiring young pros because he's a great example of not letting the things that you can't do get in the way of, of the things you can do. And, you know, I look at a player like that, if, if, if he were to think of and just buy into all the things he couldn't do, where would he be today? And, and he's, be he's a great League. example. Yeah. I mean, he's such a great example of adaptability in that his situational awareness, which I find such an interesting topic because the situations players find themselves in are constant. You know, they have different colored jerseys as an opponent, but really the, the things and the situations players find themselves in are game by game, shift by shift every night. And so, you know, recognizing that not being oblivious to how do I manipulate these situations um, is, is a key for me and, and not letting the game play you instead understanding the ways that you can play the game. What about uh, contextual decision-making then let's, let's flip the coin here and say Victor Hedman's at the line. He knows he's getting defended by Mark Stone out of nowhere. He knows that he has an opportunity to pinch more aggressively because if he does get caught, he knows he can recover because it's Mark Stone who's going up the ice uh, down the wing. hundred percent. And you know what I, I would say to a Victor Hedman in that case is you're going to want to make sure you establish body position on Mark Stone's stick because what we know is, is he's got an elite level stick. He might have the best stick in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, 
yes, create a foot race out of it by being preemptive in terms of that, that movement, but, you know, be aware that this guy's got a stick that can make up for what he may lack in first step quickness. Um, so, you know, that idea of establishing body position, cutting Mark Stone's hand off prior to him having that become a tool to strip you of possession. Um, right, great examples, you know, great real time, real world examples for sure. And, and it, in your, I guess in your work is adaptability, that's that situational awareness. One of the top things you're trying to help your players recognize is let's solve this problem because it will solve a lot of the problems that you will encounter in the future, regardless of what skill sets you have. For sure. And it's, it's about creating environments where the athletes got to solve the problem. So we can take a scenario that occurs night by night, game by game, shift by shift, and we can dissect, you know, the, the logistic part of it of we know the defenders a outcome is this we know that our a outcome is this in terms of being a possessing player then it becomes how do i get ahead of this mentally how do i get ahead of what if this person plays me perfectly what is it that i can do to create advantage for myself and being adaptable to this person's a big strong defender they're going to get in and get heavy on me there's one set of you know, options there. What do I do if this person's an elite level skater, keeps air off my hips and just steers me to the lowest percentage area possible. So the ability to adapt to both of those situations becomes crucial because those two situations aren't played the same. And so maybe it becomes distribution and move to a space that allows me to, to acquire the puck in a better spot to create movement in the defense, to change the shape of a defense. Um, you know, maybe it becomes the situation is, you know, I've got to be a little bit more proactive with my contact. I've got to right. you know, initiate contact and those sorts yeah. of things. So it's about guiding them to the solution, not creating a situation where, you know, one plus two equals three. Right, right. Exactly. Well, Pat, thank you very much for coming on the show. Once again, we uh, love the insight on player development and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Great, guys. Thanks so much. That's Pat Malloy, uh, player development and skills coach, skating coach. Uh, Brad and I are going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back right after these short messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. 
through an integrated series of best business practices, and we designed solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Power Player, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis in our regular segment, It's All Mental. Uh, Dr. Willis, uh, as we continue to review your book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind, we are just finishing up Chapter 5, and Chapter 5 is Practice. The topic in this segment is Understand Effort, Overload, and Recovery. Now, the first thing that comes to mind probably for most people is the physical aspect of understanding effort, overload, and recovery. But, you know, in some of the programs and classes I've taken in regards to brain chemistry and the effects of brain chemistry is particularly in active recovery and how it impacts not only your mental and emotional state, but how it affects your physical state, um, how challenging is it sometimes with your clientele to move them away from thinking it from a physical standpoint and have them look at these topics as a mental and emotional component so that they recognize that the body follows the brain and without taking care of this part it doesn't matter what your body's doing because there's no possible way that you can give understand what effort level you need to have in a game situation or in a practice or active recovery. And then obviously your overload and recovery from that standpoint. Can you discuss yeah. a little bit? You know, about it's that? funny because people don't realize how much energy the brain uses, right? You'd think, you know, take a 200 pound man who is, you know, fit and, and, and skating and doing all the things that the, their physical body that's been primed and, and trained to do, um, you wouldn't think that 20% of all their energy is being used, you know, by their brain. Three pounds of goo between their ears is using 20% of the, the body's energy when you're, you know, when you're engaged in something. So that's got to be taken into consideration. 20% is, is no small amount. And I think when you start thinking about the idea of overload, right, we can push our legs, we can push our endurance, but what's going on upstairs? What's going on between the ears? You know, if you're frustrated, if you're, if you're irritated, if you're anxious, if you're, if you're scared, whatever, those are all negative emotions, which, you know, can cause an increase in energy use for, for the brain. So it's adding to your stress level, you know, whereas say positive emotions, you know, things like upbeat, enthusiastic and all that kind of stuff, those can be energy creation but yet your brain is still using that energy that overall energy for you know your ability to perform so that's part of what I want to try to impress upon them is that just because you you know you skated hard and you and you play the game or whatever that's just that's not all the energy that you burned it was the decision making it was the frustration the moments of you know anger all of those things also burned a massive amount of energy and that's why you're so daggone tired is, you know, you've got to calculate that into the overall, what I call overload aspect of your performance. Kevin, how important is, is it for a player to recognize uh, the feedback loop in terms of their, their body structure and how they, and how they, their energy levels uh, waver depending on how much they've uh, output they've had in the game? 
I think one of the first things I find is that because they don't appreciate how much energy they're using just by, you know, the decisions that they're making and stuff like that. Once I sort of share that with them, then they begin to understand why they're so tired, right? Why, why they're so wiped. You know, I run every day, coach. Why, why am I so tired? I, I, I hit the gym every day, coach. Why am I so exhausted right now? Well, because what have you done to sort of make your brain fit? What have you done to increase your speed of decision-making and stuff like that? And the answer is nothing. I've done zero, right? Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I think that's important is in what I, what I do with athletes is we do talk about brain fitness and decision-making and stuff like that. But to answer your question, I think one of the things that we talked about right at the very beginning, we talked about awareness, you know, self-awareness. And so I, I teach players really early on how to check in with themselves, how to begin to understand sort of what they're thinking and how they're feeling and how that all comes together to impact, you know, their performance, how it impacts the way they, their emotions sort of are displayed. You know, think about it. If you're super tired and you're absolutely white, you're, you're quick to anger, right? You're quick to frustration. And that's just because the body's white. And so it's a shortcut to just go ahead and lash out versus sort of compose yourself, you know, deal with the situation that takes energy, you know, that takes a frontal lobe uh, activation. And when you're wiped, when you're tired, that stuff sort of withers. So yeah, checking in with yourself, I think is a core aspect of any player's development. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. Brought to you by the Power Player, hockey player development software at ThePowerPlayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis in his regular segment, It's All Mental, discussing his book, Hockey Grit, Grind, and Mind. Kevin, I, I want to ask you about, like, do you discuss with your clients in terms of what the brain chemistry does, which each chemical does. And so you're talking about, you know, overload and not having active recovery, like, you know, explain to them what cortisol does to you. And then what does like, if you have, you're running too much on adrenaline or, you know, and there are other, other chemicals like dopamine and what that does to you. And then understanding what you need to do to have that active recovery in terms of like, you know, some simple tools like box breathing, or, you know, those type of opportunities when things get stressful, this, these are the tools that you can use to just give yourself a couple minutes. Maybe it's like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or even a half an hour longer. Just like you have to have these active recoveries for your brain. Otherwise, that 20% could come 30%. And we all know what it's like when you're fizzing on adrenaline and cortisol, how incredibly inefficient you are as not only from a physical standpoint, but more importantly, from a mental and emotional standpoint. Yeah, that that's really well said because that, you know, what, do I get into talking about adrenaline versus cortisol and the effects on the body and all that kind of stuff? Very rarely. And that's just because, you know, I, that's when I notice their eyes are glazing over and I know I've lost them. Right. But what I do want to make sure that they understand is that recovery is an active process, right? Recovery isn't just being lazy. Recovery isn't just not working out. Recovery is part of your development, right? It's, it's the other half. It's the yin to the yang. It's the, it's the other half of, of effort is you've got to allow time to sort of recover. You don't drive your car, you know, around town for two weeks and never fill it up, right? You have to, you have to replenish 
the, the fuel so that you can drive it around next week. And that's all I'm saying is that stop thinking of, of recovery as being sort of, you know, what I'm not doing. What you're doing is you're recovering. That is a thing. That's a real thing. And so I, I just want to focus on that. How many folks have you met? And, and, and you guys can, you know, you talk to elite players and you talk to guys that are really, I mean, they're like targeted for the show. How many of these guys really appreciate downtime? How many of these guys really appreciate the fact that I, I shouldn't be on the ice? I shouldn't be in the gym this week because, you know, we had a really, really rough weekend or, or whatever. The, the best players, they get that. They understand that they've made recovery part of their development. The wannabes, the guys that are struggling to get there and to be noticed and all that kind of stuff, they're, they're just thinking, no, there's no time to be tired. You know, I'll rest when I'm dead. Gosh, I don't know how many times I've heard that. Yeah, I'll rest when I'm dead. Well, that's the wrong attitude because, you know what, if you take that attitude, then you're going to run yourself right out of having an opportunity to really reach your full potential. And it's one of the reasons for that, that there has to be a mental uh, readjustment in terms of how, how you just think about yourself as a person. I remember in my 20s, I'll be honest, I was somebody who just blew, blew my body to pieces. I, I herniated discs. I uh, would never stop trying to squat as heavy as possible weight, just total spinal compression. And just I would not, I would not go downstairs to my locker room unless I, I physically had to be carried. And I love the mentality, but the results were damaging. The results were very yeah. damaging, but I kept the mentality yeah. because I thought it was the only way to make it. So what, what, what sort of, um, what sort of concepts would you then try to bring into fruition here and explain to me the, the 20 year old version of me that's now broken, what concepts would you bring in to say, Hey, there's a different way here. Yeah. Well, what I do is I make the recovery as important part of their development as the actual activity. So in, in other words, if you go to the gym and you want to tell me what your circuit was, you know, how many pounds you lifted, how many reps you did. That's great. I love that document it, right? Put it in your journal. That's awesome. But I also want to know, you know, how much uh, downtime, what, what I call getting horizontal, you know, how much sleep did you get this week? You know, when you, when you weren't at the gym, when you weren't on the ice, you know, were you able to sort of kick back and read a book or play some video games or watch some TV? You know, all of those things are giving your body a chance to to recover. And so I ask them, I literally ask them, I need you to document that because that sort of, you know, what gets measured gets done. And so if I'm asking somebody to log their downtime, to log their sleep uh, cycles to do that kind of thing, then all of a sudden they look up and say, whoa, okay, so maybe this is as important as the time I spend in the gym or the amount of time I'm on the ice. And, and that's what I've had to do because, you know, I think the instinct is to do just what you described is to, to work until I drop because that's, that's how I'm going to get to where I want to go. But the fact of the matter is there's, you know, too much of anything can be a bad thing. And, and that's what happens to a lot of these young players that don't understand the mental side of, of endurance. We're going to take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, but we'll be back right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential, but all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. 
Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis in our regular segment, It's All Mental, going through the list of his book, Hockey Grit, Grind in Mind. We're in Chapter 5, Practice. The next topic is Signs of Over and Under Training, which we touched on a little bit in the previous segment. But I think from a mental, emotional standpoint, uh, I think you touched on a little bit, Dr. Willis, in terms of it's your reactions. I always find when I'm observing other people, you know, when they're done is, is their reactions or their behavior or their body language, facial expressions, do they change radically, you know, at a certain point where you go, when you normally see them and you're like, okay, it's clear you're done. Like mentally, you got nothing left. And my wife sees it in me. I see it in her when, you know, like we're done. Like you need to go take a break. I'll take care of the kids. You're done. Right. And then it doesn't matter if you're playing hockey or doing anything else when you're done mentally and emotionally. um, That's when you have to have that active recovery about that overtraining. I mean, and it's, and mentally it's no different. Like, you know, ask Brad and I, when we're staring at like video of players for hours upon end, and then you're just done. Like you just, you can't, you're doing it, but you're like, you're almost on a automated system. So how much you actually, you know, processing and then how much of that are you missing? Because if you've just done it for so long, you got nothing left. So talk a little bit about that, you know, that over under training and trying to find that balance mentally and emotionally. I tell you, you know, when you get to the higher levels, the difference between the, the best player and the next best player is, is so tiny, right? A lot of times it comes down to what's between their ears, right? It's, it's sort of their mental makeup. And, you know, that's one area that I'm so fascinated with. And I love this topic of, you know, over and under training. When it comes to physical side, you know, you know it, right? Your, your legs are, are, are seizing up, um, your body's sore, you know, you, you literally just feel like you can't take another stride or lift, uh, take another rep. Um, you, you, you're easy to get sick. You know, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're sore. You aren't eating like you were. So that's from the physical side that, Hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm fried. 
But from a mental side, what what are, what do we should we pay attention to? A lot of times, it's emotional, right? I mentioned how twenty percent of our body's energy is is going to you know run that that three pound uh, gob of glue at, in between your ears. Well, what happens when I'm out of energy or I'm really running low, <clears throat> and that brain is needing twenty percent? Well, it doesn't get twenty percent. It can't have twenty percent. And and you know, oddly enough, the, the newer parts of the brain, like the, the frontal cortex, that decision-making and, and all that kind of stuff happens is the first to sort of be denied um, that extra energy. And so decision-making goes out the window, emotional, you know, uh, issues come up, you know, you're quick to anger, you're moody, um, you're bored, you're frustrated at everything. Uh, it's really, really hard to focus. You know, I, I don't have no motivation to get up and go, not because my body is wiped, which it probably is, but because it, there's just nothing there in the tank. I am literally mentally drained. And so I think <clears throat> those are things that we, it's hard to pay attention to in the moment because we get caught up in expectations. We get caught up in social approval. But at the end of the day, that that's sort of the warning signs I have is, is moodiness, um, quick to anger, quick emotional swings, you know, struggle with emotional regulation, that kind of stuff. That that's telling me that somebody is is really overdoing it when it comes to you know their their overall performance. They need to sort of sit back, take a chill pill, and let their body catch up. Moving from mental agitation to to something that uh, occurred uh, with myself was um, was guilt. I always felt guilty if I didn't put in. The maximum effort every time, even if my body and mind uh, said not today. Um, is there are there are there tricks that you use or mental reframing that you should use uh, that you use? I think it's a better word for it. Mental, mental reframing that allows an athlete who is feeling guilty to, as you say, take a step back and reassess so that they do they do allow their bodies to recover. Yeah, those kind of habits are really hard to sort of you know change. You know these these are. Th- thought habits, you know, that I have to work hard. I can't ever let up. I got to go, 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 go. And then I sit down and tell them, no, no, no. You have to understand that recovery is part of your development. You have to give yourself time. You have to take a break. You have to sit down and do nothing. You know, that's hard for somebody to, to really grasp for one, right. They're sitting there looking at me like, seriously, what are you saying? You know, how, how wrong can you be? Right. But then number two is that to actually do it, Right. So not only is the disbelief sort of holding them back, but to actually do it. And I think part of the thing, you know, I'm really fascinated with the ability to to train the brain like we train the body. You know, this idea of brain fitness, this idea of creating, you know, drills that that fatigue the brain so that and just like the body, the more we fatigue it the stronger it gets when it comes back, right? So we fatigue the brain and next time I'm less likely to, to feel tired. And this is a whole area that, you know, I don't think we have time to get into, but brain fitness training, brain endurance training is a real thing. And when you separate, you know, the, the Olympic uh, world-class athletes from everybody else, a lot of times that's the difference is that they've gone beyond, you know, we've done everything we can to make them as fast or as, strong or whatever as we can now we're we're playing with the brain and the ability for the brain to say hey listen you've got a little bit more in the tank let's let's go a little bit further because see that's why people get tired that's why people back off 
not because their muscles are gone, not because they're out of wind or because their heart rate is up. It's because their brain is saying, dude, back off, back off. You're going to kill yourself, right? So their brain shuts them down and they think, oh, no, I've just completely fatigued myself. I can't do this. But when in fact they could, if they had to, right, that people lifting their cars and stuff like that off of, you know, accident victims, we know it happens. Where did that come from? It's because our brain is sort of, it's like a, it's like a thermostat sort of keeping us back, holding us back so that we don't literally kill ourselves. You know, and, and the conversation that you guys were having is, is fascinating. And I'm just curious to see what's going to happen in the future, particularly because obviously all three of us are focused on hockey and whether there's going to be an integration in the future of training like when you talk about we talk about player development and we've been talking with pat malloy about you know the physical aspects of it and he does get into some of the other aspects too but like integrated how important it is to like no we have to train our kit train these young players when we draft them for training for their brain to understand and i think really the biggest factor to me especially having these conversations with you dr willis and obviously with you brad is about them understanding active recovery and how I think how critical that is to maintain proper brain chemistry so that you're not, you know, taxing certain brain chemistry. So you're not fully on one and the other, and then really over, you know, doing it on in another time. So you're always in the extreme and not having that balance because the brain doesn't function well on long periods of time of, you know, extreme, um, you know, chemical in one area or the other. So it's the body's not meant for that. But uh, once again, uh, Dr. Willis, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on our show. Uh, It's fantastic Uh, as well to our guests, Dr. Kevin Willis as well. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen. It's another edition of hockey prospect radio, and we will see you at the rink. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn more. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Fractal Hockey Consulting. Everything we do, we believe in challenging the status quo in hockey. We believe in thinking differently. We provide interdisciplinary solutions that are personally designed, simple to use, and user-friendly. Through an integrated series of best business practices, and we design solutions for both hockey operations and hockey business operations. Contact us at fractalhockey.com. 